Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, February the 4th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday, one and all. And welcome live and hello from Lawrence, Kansas today. Very excited to be here. I'll explain why I'm here later on in the show. But we are broadcasting from the studios of KLWN, FM 101.7, and AM 1320. We are very grateful to all the folks here for playing host and letting us do the show from their studios here today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Every weekday, we hope, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. 3 to 6, so 2 to 5 Central, since I'm in the Central Time Zone, a little tip of the cap to this part of the country. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is free on demand every day if you miss any of the show as it airs between 3 and 6 Eastern. Lots of ways to listen live, of course, also through GuyBensonShow.com, the Fox News app, Fox Nation. The list goes on. Our great affiliates across the nation, our partners at Odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. You have options. And again, that free on-demand podcast every day, GuyBensonShow.com. Let's tell you about who we've got on the show today, starting with, appropriately, a U.S. senator from the state of Kansas, Republican Roger Marshall, who's also a medical doctor. He will be here later on this hour. Coming up in the next hour, Jimmy Fela, who's our colleague at Fox News Radio. He's always a blast. Why not? On a Friday, we'll have some fun with Jimmy coming up. And in our final hour, Dr. Nicole Sapphire will be here. I've got a number of things to ask her about, COVID-related, of course, and also COVID-theater-related. Fox News alert as we begin the show today. Let's bring you stats. COVID cases all in in the United States, 75.9 million. A gross underestimate for all sorts of reasons. But what we've been tracking lately is the decline in cases now down 52 percent from two weeks ago because Omicron is on the way down in a major way. The death toll in the United States, people who've died with or of COVID in these last two years, 896,183. The Dow is in the green today, up 159 points, currently at 35,270. And we will get you that final number when the markets close up in New York in a little less than an hour. As we come on the air today, the Winter Olympics are now underway in Beijing. And I know that some of the stuff is going to be on tape delay on the NBC family of networks because of the time change. 
I have talked about it here. I am not planning to watch any, if like any at all, maybe a little tiny bit. I'm not going to watch much. Let's put it that way. If any of the Olympics this year. Just because they are being hosted by a regime that has crossed so many red lines of basic human dignity and decency that I really struggle to want to give them any of my attention or any of my eyeballs, right, or my ratings or my clicks or any of it. And, look, I'm not a big boycott person. I know that there's this uh, this this moment in our culture where we just get angry constantly and we only want to hear things that we agree with and we all do these boycotts and counter-boycotts. I generally try to stay away from almost all of that stuff. But this involves the crushing of democracy, the jailing of dissidents, the jail, the jailing of journalists, the shutting down of media organizations. That's just Hong Kong. Then there is the systemic racism, actual systemic racism, enforced by the Chinese Communist Party. The persecution of minorities, religious minorities, ethnic minorities, the genocide against the Uyghur population in Xinjiang province. These are just some of the things, the crimes, that this regime has committed recently. The regime, of course, also still covering up and lying about COVID, the origins of COVID, disappearing in those early days. Whistleblowers and critics of the regime, they just vanished. That's how they do things over there in a totalitarian state. We quote David Leonhardt from the New York Times quite a lot on this show. I think he has a lot of good information on COVID. I was extremely disappointed to see his byline on a piece by a few journalists at the Times talking about how the zero COVID approach in China has worked. What a success it's been. Their stats are BS. They stopped counting the stats. They didn't even try to fake it. Or they'd sort of have some cases and some, they just stopped counting. You look at some of these graphs, it's just a flat line. They'd, they just ended COVID in China. And occasionally they say, oh, no, we, we have a problem in this city, so we're going to shut down this city. They are the opposite of transparent. Any statistic, any information, any brag that comes out of the regime about how well they're handling COVID, where it's just like a flat line. Oh, look, the cases are going up and up, and then it just stopped. A big flat line forever for months on end. No one should treat that seriously. No one, least of all journalists who are experts on COVID, should treat those data points credulously. And yet, unfortunately, that's what the Times has just done. It's very disappointing to see. So yeah, you've got the Hong Kong stuff, you've got the cover-up on the virus and the origins of a virus that's now killed millions of people. Then you've got the genocide, the concentration camps, the forced labor camps, the slave labor, the re-education, the indoctrination, the forced abortions and sterilization. The men being marched onto boxcars. There's video of this. There's secret video from these prisons. Reprogramming people's brains so they can't be Muslims anymore. Jailing people if they're caught with the Bible or the Quran. I mean, this is what is actively happening against people with darker skin and 
Muslim beliefs in particular in Xinjiang. This was confirmed by the Trump administration. This has been confirmed by the Biden administration. The UK government has been very good on this issue. And media outlets have been covering and documenting what's happening there. It's not a made-up genocide. It is a real, horrifying, active one being carried out by the Chinese regime, which now gets this big international stage, the most prestigious international event, they are being allowed to host it this year. After the last two or three years that they've put in on the global scene, where they should be treated as pariahs, the opposite is happening. And during their coverage of the opening ceremonies, which... There's a 0% chance I'm going to be tuning into when it's re-aired. None. Savannah Guthrie at NBC pointed out in a little stunt that the regime is pulling. Chairman Xi, their dictator, said, oh, in the uh, Olympic torch lighting, let's involve a Uyghur athlete. Think about the cynicism of that, how sick that is. He has ordered a genocide against these people and to sort of stick it to the world community and try to pretend everything's fine. They've got a Uyghur athlete that they've involved and featured in their opening ceremony. And rather than calling that out as obvious, disgusting, deceitful, evil theater, Savannah Guthrie said this, and I have to quote it to you. I can't play it for you because I guess NBC is extremely strict about their rights. They've paid money for the Olympic rights, so we are not allowed to play you the audio. So I'll just read it to you. This was quite provocative, she said. It's a statement from Chinese President Xi Jinping to choose an athlete from the Uyghur minority. This, uh, it is an in-your-face response to those Western nations, including the U.S., who have called this Chinese treatment of that group genocide and diplomatically boycotted these games. There will be much discussion about this. Oh, it's an in-your-face response to Western nations who say that this is genocide. No, it's been confirmed. It has been documented. There are people who have escaped who've helped fill in some of the gaps. It's horrifying. And a lot of the media is talking about it as if it's alleged. Of course, the corporate sponsors are, in some cases, even worse. They won't even talk about it. No comment. We're not talking. We're going to look the other way. Genocide over there. Whoop, nope, we're going to move forward. We're not going to rankle or upset the Chinese. There's too much money at stake. There's a lot of ways that you can categorize and characterize what Xi Jinping has done with this nasty little piece of theater using a Uyghur exploiting a Uyghur athlete as sort of a token to try to cover up the actions that his regime is undertaking. For NBC News to call it an in-your-face response to the United States and the allegations of genocide, I mean, it's depressing. By the way, a Dutch news outlet they had a reporter on the ground in Beijing from the Olympics, and he was reporting live. And in the middle of his report, live on the air, a Chinese official, an official minder came up and just shut it down. Started standing in front of the camera and was yelling at the guy, welcome to the 2022 Genocide Olympics. And then there's this 
from our Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. I still can't quite believe that she said this, but she did, warning American athletes going over there who were in Beijing to compete, warning them not to speak out about human rights or the various abuses of the Chinese regime while they're there. For their own safety, she says. This is Pelosi cut 15. I would say to our athletes, you're there to compete. Do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government because they are ruthless. I know there is a temptation on the part of some to speak out while they are there. I respect that, but I also worry about what the Chinese government might do to their reputations, to their families. Let's think about what we just heard there from the Speaker of the House. This was kind of a... uh, shut up and play sports, shut up and dribble moment from the Speaker of the House. You're there to compete. You're not there to talk about human rights. Zip it. Now, she's framing it because she's afraid of what the Chinese might do to them if they do speak the truth to power. It's just, and we'll get to that in a second, but it's interesting. Truth to power, or at least the appearance of truth to power and courage and bravery, this is what is often celebrated if not fetishized on the left. If you can kneel during the U.S. anthem, in Pelosi's case, what did she do? She wore the kente cloth while she was kneeling or whatever. All the truth to power performance art, if it's directed here at home, at the United States, and certainly at a certain element in the United States, or if it's a Republican president or a conservative leader or what have you, If you're going to speak truth to power and you're going to use your platform for good and you're not going to be cowed into silence by the bullies or whatever, that is given all the applause in the world. In fact, it gets you millions of dollars if you're Colin Kaepernick. There's a whole cottage industry around it. And we're said if this is free speech and this is this is what America is all about and so on and so forth. And we've had these arguments. You've had Democrats saying, yes, we should pull the all star game out of Atlanta for Major League Baseball because of this whole partisan lie that we've created about voting rights. That's appropriate. Boycott the state of Georgia. Boycott the city of Atlanta. But our athletes, oh, well, we can't have our athletes saying anything about the Chinese Communist Party while they're over there. They're there to compete. They're not there to make a statement. We've found an exception to the left's obsession with these types of gestures that are only, I guess, acceptable in certain contexts. Now, the best face you can put on those statements, those comments there from Nancy Pelosi, is that she has no problem with them speaking truth to power about China. She's just worried for their physical safety if they do so. And the safety of their family, she said, too, because of the ruthlessness of the regime. Pelosi right there, look, we've had this debate, we've had the conversation on the air. Should we have boycotted the games? Should we be there at all? Is the diplomatic boycott enough? The corporate boycott, obviously not happening because there's way too much money to be made, and these corporations believe nothing. They're super woke at home. They don't care about wokeness or human rights over there. It's all a joke. Should we be participating in the Winter Olympics? And I respect that there are different opinions about it. For various reasons, and people of good faith and on both sides of the aisle can actually disagree based on some of those reasons. But 
if it is the Speaker of the House and her belief that if a U.S. athlete speaks out and says something on behalf of human rights while in China and that athlete shouldn't do that, shouldn't say those things because of his or her own physical safety and the physical safety of their family, to me, that is the most succinct and powerful argument that can be made that we should not be participating at all in these Olympics. If the genocide isn't enough, is it the threat to the safety of our own athletes? Should they mention the genocide? Maybe those things combined would give us an answer here on the correct moral stance. That's Pelosi's own standard. Now, shut up and compete, she says, for your own safety. What a travesty that China has been given these Olympics. It's sickening. I'm not going to watch. I'm out. I'm out. Go Team USA. Win the gold as often as possible. Rack up those medals. Play the Star Spangled Banner. But I'm out. It's The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson, back here on The Guy Benson Show. This news just breaking. (laughs) And I just have to uh, chuckle a little bit. Attorney Michael Avenatti has been convicted on charges that he stole money from his client, porn actress Stormy Daniels. She was owed this money for her Trump book. I mean, if you could just, like, go back six years or something and read that sentence to someone, it'd be like, what are you talking about? And yet we all know what we're talking about. The porn star's Trump book, Money, was stolen by her sleazy lawyer, Michael Avenatti, who's now been convicted of that crime, who's also convicted of what, trying to shake down Nike for some reason? So he's just racking up the convictions here, Avenatti. And the only reason I give him the time of day here on the show, even mention this story at all, is this guy was treated seriously by a lot of people in the media, especially at MSNBC and CNN, they could not get enough Michael Avenatti. I mean, absent these criminal convictions, I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, Jeff Zucker, before he left CNN abruptly, was maybe considering Avenatti for that 9 o'clock slot to replace Chris Cuomo. Avenatti at night. Guess he'll be doing it from a jail cell. He was talking about running for president. He was a hero to these people. Yeah, good pick, guys. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast, always free. 
We are broadcasting live from the studios of KLWM today in Lawrence, Kansas. Very happy to be here for the weekend. And joining us now is one of the U.S. senators representing the state of Kansas, Dr. Roger Marshall, a Republican, joins us back on the show. Welcome back, sir. Glad to have you. Guy, welcome to Kansas. I'm actually on my way to Russell, Kansas, to do a town hall, home of Bob Dole. If you get a chance, stop by the Dole Institute there on campus and just some great history to relive. And and go, go Jayhawks. Big game tomorrow against Baylor. Yeah, I'm here for the Baylor game. We'll talk about it a little bit later on in the broadcast. But I'd imagine that uh, you have a few thoughts on Allen Fieldhouse and this amazing venue that I'll get to experience tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of going to some Final Fours, Super Bowls. There's not a better venue in the world than a basketball game at Allen Fieldhouse on a Saturday afternoon when they turn the video on and you see the images of Wilt Chamberlain, just the legacy of basketball. This is just something that you're raised on in Kansas. And we used to listen to it on the radio. I'll still turn on the radio if I can't find a television uh, close by. So it it is absolutely on everyone's bucket list. And if you can find a ticket, it's a great, great experience. Yeah, that's what we're doing here this weekend. And it's not a bad matchup either. Top 10 teams, defending national champs, I can't wait. I'll be in the huge, huge throng of uh, blue-clad fans tomorrow afternoon, nationally televised game. Senator, I want to ask you about a few statements that I saw. Our colleague Chad Pergram was tweeting about what you said following this Ukraine briefing. And you're, of course, very concerned about what's happening over in Ukraine. You also are calling for sort of a refresh on war authorization and powers making sure that Congress has its appropriate role uh, intact, regardless of what ends up happening in terms of the United States response to what Russia may or may not do. Just give us, to the extent that you can tell us about uh, what you learned and what are your big takeaways from that briefing? Yeah, I, I think what I was concerned that the war drum was really loud. And you know, we need to be prepared for everything, but I think it's time to turn the volume down a little bit on going to war with anybody. And and certainly I do not want any boots on the ground in Ukraine. And I don't think the president has the authority to, to do that. I certainly has the authority to send them to Eastern Europe under the auspices of NATO. But if there's an actual battle there, I'm not excited about boots on the ground. I was concerned, again, about the tone of the situation that we have going on there. Uh, and just, you know, the background that we're being so reactive. Again, the land of Eisenhower here in Kansas, peace through strength. This president's negotiated uh, from a point of weakness. And I don't have to tell your audience what the world thinks of us right now. When we sit on our hands, when terrorists send missiles at Israel, we sit on our hands when Russia finishes up Nord Stream 2, uh, that Russia hacks us and shuts down our energy flow and we do nothing, uh, they know that they're dealing with a weak president. So it sounds like you're worried about the president maybe going to war. I mean, do you, do you think that we would actually go to, you know, engage in a hot war with the Russians? I hope not. Um, but but it, you know, this is how Vietnam started. Again, I remember driving by the cemetery in grade school and seeing the, the flag-draped coffins every afternoon. What? How many lessons do we have to learn? This is how Vietnam started. We, we started sending uh, technical advisors. Uh, this is a great time for Congress to say, where, what are the war powers 
there's a couple AUMFs, authorized use of, of military force that are setting out there. One from 2001, I believe, that basically authorized the war on terrorism. And then one, I think, from about 2003 that authorized uh, the war in Iraq. I, I think the one in Iraq for Iraq can be repealed. And I think it's a good time to go back and look at that one in 2001. And let's, let's don't wait until the president's sending troops over there to try to stop it. Let's try to look at the situation now while we have a little bit more, I'm going to say non-emotional situation here. And, and again, I just want to turn the war drums down a little bit. Is President Biden trying to deflect off the real national security issues, the southern border, lawlessness, inflation? What I'm, I'm concerned about what his motivations are for, for cranking this situation up there in well, the Ukraine. It, it seems like the Russians are doing a lot of the cranking up, right? They amassed all these troops. They're the ones talking about invading Ukraine. I know the Ukrainians are also saying, hey, let's let's sort of maybe back away from some of this rhetoric. We're getting a little overheated here. That's been the message from Kiev back to Washington. That being said, what Putin is up to is obviously very dangerous, extremely provocative. It looks like he's planning at some point in the coming days or weeks to engage in some kind of invasion of an ally of a sovereign country's territory. You are critical of President Biden's weakness that Putin and others apparently are picking up on and seeking to uh, take advantage of. If you're not willing to go the direction of boots on the ground, I think very few Americans are, what should the U.S. be doing to show strength to someone like Putin? Yeah, I, I think the obvious answer is where is Europe and where is NATO? They should be leading on this particular issue. And I just want to talk about the economy and, and sanctions for a second. In 2019, before COVID, the United States uh, trade with Russia was probably, I think, 20 or 30 billion. But the European Union's trade with Russia was to the tune of, I think, almost $300 billion. So is the European Union willing to stand up to this bully? Uh, they've created such a dependence on them right now for energy, specifically natural gas. And just reminding your, your listeners, right now the natural gas goes to the Ukraine to get to the European Union. Nord Stream 2 is about bypassing Ukraine and being able to get this energy into the European Union. This, The European Union should be much more concerned about this than the United States is. I think they should be leading on sanctions, and they should be leading any type of a military presence there. Uh, I, again, I'm much more concerned about China uh, right now than I am uh, the squabble in the Ukraine. You're right. Russia has plenty to blame, but I can't control Putin, but I can help influence the policy in this country. Would you support major sanctions against the Russians if he does invade? Absolutely. And I wouldn't wait. I really think Ted Cruz had this right. Uh, leading the charge on starting imposing sanctions months ago. We wanted to yeah, start the Democrats filibustered it, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is being reactive rather than proactive. One of the big lessons in life is timing. Many people have the right decision, but it's two months too late. Whether you're in, making an investment or moving your socks around, timing is so important. And I think in the realm of national security, timing is everything. But, but Russia's a bully. They're not going to respond to talk, especially talk from a person that sent blankets uh, the, when Russia invaded Crimea in 2014. We're going to stand up, smack the bull in the nose, and start, uh, start with some sanctions. But Europe's got to be leading this. That's the one that we need, and, and they need to see that, that we're going to stand together with Europe on this. 
Senator Marshall, I want to ask you about something that happened, gosh, was it a couple weeks ago now at this point? Dr. Anthony Fauci was on Capitol Hill. He mixed it up with several U.S. senators, including, of course, Senator Rand Paul. They go after each other all the time. Fauci obviously doesn't like him, and the feeling appears to be mutual. At one point, you were engaged in a back and forth with Fauci, and at the end of it, in a hot mic, he sort of muttered to himself, calling you a moron. What was that all about? And what did you make of him sort of losing his temper and calling you a U.S. senator and a fellow doctor a moron? Did he ever reach out with any sort of a- apology uh, for that that circumstance and, and that outburst? Yeah, there's been no apology. I, I would just tell this to your listener- listeners. We are over the target. We hit a nerve. The- Dr. Fauci and I do not have a personal problem. I disagree with most of his decisions through this uh, pandemic, but it's never been a personal thing. And all we wanted to do was get his financials out in the open. We've been trying for for weeks and had not been able to get them. And then he lied to the American public. We simply asked him if he would uh, make his, uh, his personal finances available to the public. And he said, well, they are. Well, they are if you're willing to hire a lawyer and go through a, a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, spend money, and six months or a year later, we'll get redacted finances. I want to hold him to the same level that we hold Congress members when it comes to being transparent with our finances. You know, And then come to find out he's the highest paid federal employee making $435,000 a year. Uh, in, in 2020, despite him shutting down the entire co- economy, he made almost $2 million that year. He has investments in China, including a, a, a pharma company, laboratory company in China as well. I just think America deserves to know that. And what we really want to start talking about is the grants that he oversees. Every year, he oversees over $5 billion of grants. He sees the insider information years before anybody in Congress can see it. He can move research from one direction to another. Uh, one example, for years, he thought mRNA uh, vaccine research was taboo, that it was going nowhere. Suddenly, he started funding mRNA research a year or two uh, before COVID. And it just it just begs the question, uh, what's going on here? We have a lot of power invested in one man through decades. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's my concern here. Yeah, and we know, for example, it's come out recently, some of these emails about some of these scientists in the early days of COVID getting together on a Zoom call, and there was a lot of discussion. Hey, gosh, it it really looks like this could be a lab leak situation, that this could be a virus that was tinkered with by researchers at this, this lab in Wuhan. And then the email sort of uh, virtual paper trail showed that Fauci and others tried to tamp down any public sentiment to that effect. And some of the people who then changed their tune and said, no, no, we think this is uh, much more likely to have occurred naturally. Some of those people who were much more convinced by the lab leak theory in the early days and then kind of recanted or, or uh, you know, did a 180, they were reliant on a lot of research money from Dr. Fauci, right? And, and you had that organization that was funding this type of gain-of-function research at that lab in Wuhan, China. Uh, Peter Daszak and his outfit, they were very close with Fauci and reliant on Fauci for some of that uh, funding as well. These are not crazy tinfoil hat things to be talking about. But if you raise any of it, I guess Fauci's reaction is to call you a moron. 
you got it, Guy. You're explaining it very well. In January of, of 2020, many scientists were sending emails to Fauci saying, we think there's a better than 50-50 chance that this is from a laboratory. And remember now, Fauci is funding Wuhan Laboratory via EcoHealth, Peter Daszak, which you alluded to as well. They have a secret meeting on February the 1st. We asked for notes from that meeting, and, of course, it's all redacted. So these same scientists suddenly over a couple of weeks decide that there's no chance. They didn't say any chance. They said there's no chance that this could have come from a laboratory. Right, it would fuel in, conspiracies. In yeah, so it just fuels conspiracies, and then, you know, as we start following the money – and then we find out that many of those authors are also very closely connected to this EcoHealth. If I could get one witness in front of me, uh, it would be Peter Daszak of EcoHealth under oath uh, to testify to Congress. Last question, Senator, and my guess is medical doctor Roger Marshall, U.S. Senator from Kansas, a Republican. You said when we were talking about Russia that your overriding concern on the geopolitical front is China and the menace of the Chinese Communist Party. The Olympics, of course, kicking off in China, which has been about as badly behaved as you can be as a regime in recent years, and yet here they are hosting the Olympics on this world stage. What's your view on the Olympics this year? I want Team USA to win. I want them to clean up and do very well. I don't think I can bring myself to really watch, given what the host regime is responsible for. Where do you come down on that? Yeah, guy, I can't watch the Olympics, and I love the Olympics. I was a college athlete with with Olympic aspirations. I don't begrudge any of the what was your sport? that are there. I, I did the decathlon. I went on, on a javelin scholarship, ended up doing the decathlon, and there's only oh. once every four years is there an opportunity for a decathlete to make his his or his name, and it's the Olympics. Uh, I do remember Jimmy Carter shutting down uh, great athletes' careers. So so let's don't blame the athletes. I'm not going to watch it. But, the, but just the hypocrisy, I hold accountable the IOC, the Olympic Committee that determined the site, when we knew that these human rights violations have been going on for decades, and if they didn't know it, then shame on them. I hold people accountable, the, uh, the sponsors. So the same sponsors that moved the baseball all-star game out of Atlanta are the same mm -hmm. ones that are sponsoring the human rights violations in China. Mm -hmm. I call that hypocrisy. It's worshiping money. Um, I just couldn't be more down on the whole situation. And now we see uh, President Xi and President Putin arm in arm ganging up on the United States on the Taiwan-Ukraine issue. So they will use this to – I mean they are so good at manipulating the press and their propaganda. They are good at it. i got to give it to them. Senator Roger Marshall, Republican of Kansas. We're doing the show from Kansas today, KLWN in Lawrence, Kansas. Senator, appreciate your time. Have a great weekend, and we'll see if the Jayhawks pull it off tomorrow. Okay, rock chalk. Thanks All so right, much, sounds guys. good. Thank you, Senator. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's the Guy Benson Show. We continue on this Friday. Well, this is interesting. Fox News alert. We're getting some new audio in from a speech being delivered this hour by former Vice President Mike Pence. He's addressing a Federalist Society gathering, conservative lawyers and attorneys, down in Florida. And he is responding to President Trump's insistence in recent days, yet again, doubling down, tripling down on this notion that he, Pence, could have somehow overturned the election 
single-handedly, which is absolutely false. It's ludicrous on its face. The idea that like Kamala Harris could undo an election if the Democrats lose in 2024 or Al Gore could have done that in 2000. No. But Trump had this story. He believes that he was cheated. He wasn't. He just lost the election. He's mad about it. He can't reconcile that fact. And so he's blaming a bunch of other people and going on this vindictive revenge tour, trying to beat any Republican, even if it elects Democrats, by the way, even if it helps the Democrats, he wants to harm any Republican who has not fully backed him up in this election lie. And apparently Vice President Pence has had enough of this. He's made a few statements in the past. He sometimes sort of beats around it and then couches things a little bit. But Pence, moments ago, in Cut 25, made things crystal clear from his vantage point. Listen. President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election. I mean, he's obviously correct. Good for him for saying it. We can count down the minutes until there's an angry statement blasted out by President Trump. Like Mr. Super, super loyal vice president, not quite loyal enough because he wouldn't violate his oath to try to steal an election. So the wrath of Trump will be unleashed at some point here. To me, folks, and I think Trump did a lot of really good things as the president, a lot in terms of outcomes. It's exhausting. I'm exhausted constantly looking back at 2020. Trump is insisting that we keep looking back at the loss. I'd rather look forward. He's getting fact-checked by his own vice president. I'm over this. I'm over it. But I'm glad Vice President Pence standing up for himself and for the Constitution. Next hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour on this Friday, live from KLWN in Lawrence, Kansas today. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. The podcast is always free, on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. Fox News alert as we begin our middle hour today. The Dow trailed off at the end of the day, falling into the red and closing down 22 points at 35,000 and 89. Joining us now from our New York headquarters at Fox News is our colleague, Fox News Radio, host of Fox Across America, noon to three Eastern on many of these same stations. It's Jimmy Fela. Jimmy, good to have you back here. Yo, Guy Benson, I'm so jealous that you're in Kansas, man. I'm very excited to be here. Going to the KU Baylor game tomorrow. Allen Fieldhouse. Oh, now you know the deal in New York. It's a mess. It's freezing out. Although that's the upside because when it's cold in New York, you can't smell the city. So <laughs> there are some perks. <laughs> that frostbite does come with an advantage. But, yes, I wish I was watching the Jayhawks with you. Maybe not with you, but in the same arena. I don't know how we'd do side by side. I think we'd be fine. All right. We've well, hung out before. 
No, me, actually, me and you hang better off the air than we do on, because usually our, our introductions on air are a little contentious. But once well, we settle in, but that's we get fake, going. though. Yeah, no, it is. It's like we're yeah. like wrestlers. You know, like the Undertaker and the Ultimate Warrior hit each other yeah, with a you're chair. you're the heel. Yeah. You're the heel. <laughs> right? I'm the good guy that everyone's rooting for. All right. You said he did say this was fake, by the way. And now yes. I can tell by the direction <laughs> you've gone in. I can't. And it's all scripted. Kilmeade <laughs> writes the script. And it w- we just do whatever he says. A lot of people don't know that Kilmeade's the Vince McMahon of Fox News Radio. Yes. And thank you for finally blowing the whistle. <laughs> exactly. The cover has been ripped off of that. Speaking of, let's talk about the CNN stuff. It's just too fun. Mm-hmm. Not to in some ways. Um, you see this report that Chris Cuomo is going to get nine million dollars. Wow, to I settle. See. Yeah, that's what the uh, UK. What was it? The the Daily Mail reporting. He's going to get nine million dollars out of this. I guess he was seeking eighteen million. That would be the full contract. Mm-hmm. I, imagine making that kind of money to be to be Chris Cuomo and get those ratings. It's kind of amazing. But he's going to get nine million allegedly. Uh-huh. And I have to wonder if they're going to pay him nine million now. After everything that's already come out and sort of decapitated the leadership at the top, you know, with Zucker gone, and I think, you know, his his mistress probably won't hang on either if I had to bet. What else does Cuomo (laughs) have if they're going to pay him $9 million to now be quiet? That's a really great point, as this was the negotiated sliding scale of, well, for $5 million, we can take down investors. <laughs> and for two, because the thing is, and you know this to be true, uh, they had abandoned every more and pretense of journalistic standard in their quest to do whatever it is they're trying to do. I never quite understood it, but when you see the devotion to Zucker, even, you know, posthumously career-wise at CNN it tells you they had an emotional investment in yeah, it's like they would... you know Stalin Stalin is gone and the Politburo doesn't know what to say <laughs> yeah, don't we know must what to do. we must carry on his legacy <laughs> it's amazing and you know you know they must have gotten to a place where this was so emotional for them it was denying them the self-awareness that would tell them they were crazy so they did a lot of crazy things that they continue to do my point being to echo what you said earlier there were clearly other nefarious deeds we don't know about and if there's anybody willing to play those cards it's a Cuomo so this is a very interesting next couple of days yeah the fact that it's gone back to the Cuomos over and over and over again I mean, people have been talking about the blast radius of the Cuomo scandal and who it's taking out. You know, Jimmy, this is a this is a highbrow family show that we do here. Uh-huh. So I was thinking about giving you a joke that I'm not going to use on the air, but you can use it. Oh, let me come on, Guy Benson. Yeah, Let's go. So, so, so hypothetically, theoretically, everyone making this blast radius joke about the Cuomo scandal. I wonder if there's a way to tie that into the Jeffrey Tubin. Scandal. <laughs> Amazingly, by the way, Jeffrey Tubin's still at the network. I mean, man, that guy has a lot of pull. Yeah. So I'm going to he's he's the only one whose hand is clean in all of this, it would seem <laughs> one might say. So I'm going to give you those jokes. Those are not mine. Those are officially yours, Jimmy. Good. For and you, you can use them as you see fit on Fox Across America, not not here on the Guy Benson show. No, no. <laughs> and I thank um, you. I wear listen, I wear this by the way. I wear this with pride, okay? Uh-huh. Your show it, it is. It's very it is classy. Like if we were putting radio shows as boats, okay? Yours is like a carnival cruise line. I'm the Somali pirate from Captain Phillips, but we got some good music on our transmister radio and people, you know, people kind of enjoy it. I prefer, I prefer to think of it as the, a Regent cruise line. If we're going to go with cruise lines, but that's okay. You you can Good the carnival you. cruise can be 
can be someone else. Um, <laughs> so here's the other thing that made me actually laugh out loud. Some of the media reporters who are all over this story, I, I guess the only media reporters who didn't know anything about this were the people inside the building uh, where I where everyone's saying it was a total open secret, some of this stuff. But apparently, and this has been reported, that after Zucker resigned, people were getting phone calls from elected Democrats, including Democrats on the January 6th committee, who were expressing their uh, sadness, right? Their their deep, deep concern for democracy now that Jeff Zucker has <laughs> resigned from CNN. And the thing is, like, you guys, the democracy, everything, every single thing that you oppose is a threat to democracy and everything that you support is upholding democracy. It's a very tired talking point. You know that it has officially jumped the shark when Jeff Zucker resigns for the reasons that he's resigned, and we're learning more and more about that, and your reaction as a, a steward and guardian of the public trust as an elected official is to immediately call people up freaking out about the implications for democracy. <laughs> well, well, in their worldview, it didn't jump the shark. It suppressed the shark's vote. Yeah. That's their concern. Yeah, it's, it's a just, shark of color. Yeah, it's so embarrassing. I mean, and, and, it's not and, a great white shark. They no, can vote. No, <laughs> no, no lines at the great white preschools. <laughs> None at all, right? You ever notice that? Nobody needs a cup of water at those schools of fish. Never, never, never. It is. It's it's so embarrassing. Like I always say, like we're living in a death of shame, but also on the elected official side of this, because really think about for all the screaming and yelling that everyone's doing in the Democratic Party about voter suppression, they can't send our athletes to China where they have a president for life fast enough. You know, nobody's really talking. Well, they actually they're crushing actual democracy in Hong Kong. <laughs> like they're throwing journalists into prison and ending democracy in Hong Kong. And it's like, well, you know, oh, well, it's a, you know, it's a long season. Nobody goes undefeated. We're like, wait, what? No, that's not how this works. Yeah. Ba back to back to Georgia. You know, <laughs> enough about Hong Kong. Let's focus on the real democracy threat. The ouster of Jeff Zucker and Georgia. <laughs> it's fascinating, man. It, there's never been a dumber time to be alive. And I don't know what it says for the country guy that mm -hmm. I really have become one of the voices of reason because I wasn't supposed to be one of the voices of reason guy, you know? I'm supposed to, the only thing I'm supposed to be doing here at Fox is be playing the bad guy in the act out for the HR video. <laughs> and now here I am trying to hold people together. It's, it's not a good time for America. Oh, wait, so those... Those sexual harassment incidents were on camera for a training video? <laughs> hey, I thought I paid you for those. Come on. <laughs> Come on, GB. We settled on a price. So I, I want to ask you about the other big media storm of the week, which is Hoopy Goldberg over at The View. And <laughs> I, I, the thing is, my advice to Hoopy was going to be, look, you've just gotten the best gift possible with Jeff Zucker doing what he did. Go on vacation have a pina colada somewhere for a week and a half, maybe do a little bit of research about the Holocaust yeah. so you don't make that mistake again, and then come back to your cushy, well-paying job. But no, she's letting it She's letting it be known to the world that she's furious and yeah. she might quit and all this stuff. I think that what she said was very ignorant, mm -hmm. very wrong. She absolutely was right to apologize. I don't love the tit for tat. Mm -mm. Should this person be fired? Should she be suspended? 
I wonder overall what your take is on it. And then I do have a soundbite to play for you that is a very, very fun flashback. But go ahead first. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, I, listen, I'm with you. I don't want anyone getting canceled for speech, period. I just don't think they would ever adhere to the terms of that ceasefire. You know, if we said, all right, Whippy keep, keeps her job and, you know, we're not going to pursue this, not that we have any say. But the point is they would never, they would never uh, send in the pun team if somebody on the right did something as egregious. And to be clear, I don't think she's anti-Semitic either. I think no. what happened on that show is they got accustomed to garnering applause breaks for any stupid thing that came out of their mouth. So they kind of speak with no accountability. Well, and they also... In some cases, and, you know, Whoopi's way up there on this, Joy Behar even worse, like they don't know things is no. one of the one of the big problems that I have. I will say just quickly, Gutfeld uh -huh. had a very good point on the five the other day uh -huh. because Whoopi, I guess what she said that she got in so much trouble for because it was wrong, she said the Holocaust wasn't about race. Uh -huh. And Greg said that's the first time that they've said something wasn't about race on The View in years. <laughs> right? Everything's about race except this one. The Holocaust. Well, slow clap, Whoopi. But to your point, and, and this is now a perfect transition into this flashback soundbite, I mean, the amount of sheer ignorance on that show is astounding, and that's not new. Like, yeah. if they were suspending people for demonstrating their amazing, prodigious ignorance— no one would be left on the show to actually do the show. And Whoopi, case in point, had this to say, I had totally forgotten about this. But someone sort of dredged it back up and put it on Twitter, and I played it today at the gym, and I started laughing out loud at the gym. Here is Whoopi back in the early days of the Biden administration, and she was talking about who she thinks should be the next Surgeon General of the United States of America. Here's Whoopi, oh, no. cut 18. Dr. Jill becomes a surgeon general, oh his God. wife. Yeah, Joe Biden's wife, because she, you know, he would been... never do it, but she, it, yeah, she's a hell of a doctor. She's an amazing doctor. <laughs> she's a doctor like, in... Yeah, I don't, I don't, oh, I could be wrong. Maybe I thought she was... Yeah, I think she's, uh, she's, she's a teacher, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, and my favorite thing about the clip, the, the best thing about that is the absolute confident conviction like like she really knows personally whoopie whoopie's saying that jill biden is a hell of a doctor she's an amazing doctor and she says it with just play it one more time cut 18 listen to how confident she is dr jill becomes a surgeon general his wife. Yeah, Joe Biden. Joe Biden's wife, because she, you know, she he would been... never do it, but she, it, yeah, she's a hell of a doctor. She's an amazing yeah. doctor. I she's I a doctor like and PhD. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, don't, oh, I, don't I could know. be wrong. Maybe I thought she was yeah, a teacher. I think she, I don't think so. She's, she's oh. a teacher, but. <laughs> and the people in the back are like, oh, whoopee, and, and Megan McCain's like, I don't, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> but the whole audience is clapping. Yes! Right? Because they thought that, I mean, Jill Biden, doc, excuse me, Dr. Jill Biden has – it's not even a Ph.D. I think it's yeah. some other it's, it's doctorate. A, it's actually a soda. It's pepper. <laughs> it's pepper. In education, and I know some people, you know, read that uh, thesis paper that she wrote, and it was um, – <laughs> A mess. Yeah, quite quite interesting. <laughs> but she is not, shall we say, a medical doctor, not qualified to be Surgeon General, although Biden did put a lawyer with no public health experience as his health secretary. So maybe that's not really disproving Whoopi's point. I guess what I'm getting at here, Jimmy, we don't have a lot of time left, mm -hmm. is if ignorance were punishable on The View, 
that would put a huge dent in their entire business model. Very well said. And and it's to be clear, we're not selling uh, Jill Biden short. She does speak two languages, English and Joe. And uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to punt on that. But you're right. And that clip is so emblematic of how Whoopi wound up where she is. You get applauded for saying stupid things. So maybe the criminal here is the warm-up comic that's jazzing up that audience too much. Because that audience is rewarding some of the most ignorant behavior we've ever heard in front of a microphone. With all due respect to my show. Not a good time, Guy Benson. And you know what? Jimmy Fallon is the host of Fox Across America on Fox News Radio. But no matter what anyone says about Jimmy... I will say this. He is one hell of a doctor. He is an amazing <laughs> doctor. You're Jimmy Fela, you're the best. Happy weekend. Happy you, Friday, sir. You too, my man. See you soon, guy. <laughs> Good stuff. The Guy Benson Show, back after this. I'm Guy Benson here on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here on this Friday. So here's a soundbite. From Alexandria, Virginia, this was yesterday, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who I think should give the Republican response to the State of the Union address in March. I think he should do it in Richmond in front of a cheering audience at the House of Delegates because they're going to have apparently very limited attendance up in D.C. again for Biden's speech, allegedly due to COVID and safetyism. And I think there's a real contrast to be drawn there. I'll continue to make that point until the Republicans either agree with me or make their announcement about what they're going to do otherwise. But I think it should be Yunkin. Seems like a no-brainer for him to give the response, especially given the fact that he just flipped a state that went 10 points for Biden into the red category in the governor's race last year. And he is fighting exactly the sort of smart fights on COVID that I think Republicans would be very smart to lean into. Case in point, he was in... Alexandria, which is one of these very blue parts of the state, very, very, very Democratic. And he was conducting a conversation on inflation and the cost of goods. And then he was checking out at a register. And there was a Karen, a few registers down, who decided to start heckling him because he wasn't wearing a mask. Here's what that little mini confrontation sounded like. Cut 19. Governor, where's your mask? So someone was having a little talk with Karen at the end there, where she decided to make a show and make a scene and start asking the governor, where's your mask? It's a pretty good impression, actually. And Yunkin very coolly, very calmly says, we're all making choices today. Good answer, Governor. She was wearing her mask for no good reason, really, but fine. You do you, lady. No one's stopping you. And Yunkin, who's fully vaxxed and all the things, said, you know, we're making different choices. We're all making our choices today. And then someone comes up to her and says, oh, he's my governor, too. I can say what I want. Yeah, that's fine. But what's interesting about this very Karen experience is she demands that he read the room. You're in Alexandria. What does that mean? What he's reading is the science. What he's reading is the data. It doesn't matter what room he's in. It doesn't matter what part of the state he's in. The science and the data remains the same. And in fact, we will talk more about the data on masking coming up later in the next hour with Dr. Nicole Sapphire. I'm not sure if this Karen was aware 
But the mask mandate in places like grocery stores was lifted months ago by the previous governor, Democrat Ralph Northam, Governor Blackface. It was that governor who lifted the mask mandate, not even Glenn Youngkin, who is simply abiding by the rules that everyone's allowed to abide by. And she was kind of trying to bully him. Oh, you're in our backyard here, buddy. Where's your mask? Read the room. That might play well in a diluted left-wing area like Alexandria, Virginia. I think Yunkin is reading the room of the state and the country a lot better than that woman is. This is not the only thing that Yunkin is up against in Virginia. These are part of the reasons why I think he'd be the obvious selection for the State of the Union response. There is some more audio coming out of the COVID wars in Virginia that you have to hear. We will play it for you. You do not want to miss this stuff. It's straight ahead on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. I'm Guy Benson here in Lawrence, Kansas. KLWN hosting me today. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen here at the station, glad to have you all along wherever you are listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is always free. So in the last segment, we played you the clip of this uh, Karen-type individual shouting at Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, because he was at a grocery store without a mask. He was not required to wear a mask. I saw some people, by the way, on social media being like, oh, where's all the outrage about the hypocrisy like we see with Gavin Newsom? There is no hypocrisy. Gavin Newsom has an indoor mask mandate that he's imposing on people and he's ignoring it. There is no indoor mask mandate in Virginia. There hasn't been one for some time, including under the previous governor from the opposite party. And Glenn Youngkin is breaking none of the rules. I mean, there's just so little knowledge and critical thinking these days. It drives me crazy. I'm often glad that I have this platform on this show just to have this catharsis where I get to fight back against the fact-free idiocy that is on parade and seemingly ubiquitous now in our society. And if this is our little citadel, our fortress of rationality together, then so be it. I'll take it. And I'm grateful that you're here with me inside the fortress. So moving on, but sticking in the state of Virginia, this is what is happening on the ground. You have some of these locations where there are deep blue communities, and deep blue school boards and these Democratic officials locally in certain parts, especially of Northern Virginia, where they are resisting some of the changes that Governor Yunkin has decided to implement, including mask optional schooling, where parents have the choice for their kid. And there are legal battles underway right now. And they say they're on the side of safety and science when, in fact, they're not making anyone safer. They don't have the data or the science on their side. It's just a deep-rooted almost religion at this point, where the masks are kind of these religious icons. It's a deeply held superstition at this point, and it's just about partisanship and tribalism as well. So they're fighting the Republican governor on behalf of fake science and doing so very self-righteously. They're wrong on the merits, and this is why I think, among other reasons, giving that platform, that microphone, that podium to Glenn Youngkin to fight this fight on behalf of parents, on behalf of data, 
on behalf of normalcy with a bunch of Republicans in attendance where they're limited from attending up with Joe Biden, March 1st for the State of the Union address. It's a slam dunk to me. It's a layup. It's an easy layup. And if maybe if they have enough height, they can dunk it. But it's sitting right there for the taking. I hope the Republicans take it. And the type of overweening, overbearing, massively overreacting bureaucrat that Yunkin is doing battle with in Virginia is exemplified in cut 20. This is, listen to this. This is a woman in Loudoun County. So this is the D.C. exurbs, a blue area that swung a bit back toward the Republicans in November, by the way. But the powers of Loudoun County remain very much Democratic, and they're now in their own little version of the resistance. So you have an assistant principal at an elementary school. This is a grade school, little kids in Loudoun County, and she is explaining that kids who show up without masks could be arrested, charged with crimes. I know the word tyrant and tyranny gets thrown around probably too loosely in our politics. This is a petty little tyrant. When I talk about people whose worldview and control needs to be crushed and stripped from them, this is the type of person that I'm thinking of. Let's listen to Cut 20. Um, until you arrive, your children will be held in an in-school restriction situation here at school. Um, it is important that I point out to you, it's stated in the letter that you'll receive, but it's important that I point out to you that they are not allowed on campus or on Loudoun County public school property. Um, starting tomorrow, it will be considered trespassing. So it's important that I make that statement to you. Uh, but we'll look forward to hearing from you uh, via phone so you can let us know when so you'll how, be able how to long can up. how long can they be suspended for? The guidelines that we're receiving from the county is student suspensions will end as soon as they are fully following mitigation policies. So trespassing. That's a crime. It's a misdemeanor. There's fines. There's potential jail time. That's the threat here. If your kid shows up, in accordance with your wishes and the governor's executive order, not wearing a mask, which is perfectly safe and in line with the data and the science, if they show up to school nevertheless without a mask on, that's going to be trespassing. Not just a suspendable event, apparently, but a crime. It's crazy. Then you heard the question about the suspension. It sounds like the suspension will continue until you comply. You will comply or you'll be locked out of school. This is abusive. There was a memo, by the way, at one of the schools in Loudoun, one of the high schools, that leaked out, dictating that there would be 10-day suspensions for students who show up maskless. 10 days. Two school weeks for kids who've already missed so much schooling already because of these exact same people with their last totally insane, abusive, anti-science, quote-unquote, mitigation for COVID. Let's not forget, remember that horrible incident involving the sexual assaults? Not alleged, confirmed. The kid was convicted. This was a teenage student, a male who I guess identified as gender fluid, who raped a student, a female student, in a bathroom in a high school in Loudoun County, this exact same county. And then her father, the victim's father, was the one who was targeted as the bad guy because he was really mad about it. They didn't suspend the rapist from school. They shuffled him to another school in the district where he struck again and sexually assaulted a second girl. 
So based on the people running the show in Loudoun County, the father of a rape victim is bad and dangerous, maybe even a domestic terrorist, if you ask the Department of Justice. Her rapist does not get suspended and gets another chance at another school where he reoffends. But if your kid shows up to school without a mask on, which they're allowed to do based on the governor's order, and is fully compliant with the actual science, that's a 10-day suspension. Or maybe at the elementary school, they're going to get Timmy and put him in handcuffs because he's trespassing at age eight. This is insanity. And some parents have had absolutely enough of it. One such parent was a mother in Prince William's County. And in Prince William County, Virginia, they had one of these school board meetings, and she got up. She had three minutes to talk. I'm going to play you roughly the last minute of what she had to say. She brought the receipts with the superintendent of that district, some previous excuses on masking kids in schools, and she decided to call out this official in front of everyone. You can hear the crowd reaction. This is fantastic. Cut 21. On November 15th of last year, I had the privilege of speaking with Dr. McDade for 10 minutes following the CRT town hall meeting. During that discussion, which was friendly and cordial, I asked what she, as superintendent, could do to get the kids out of masks. Dr. McDade told me that she would if she could, but that her hands were tied by then Governor Northam's executive order mandating face coverings. And if it weren't for that, things would be different. Well, tonight, things are different. And I'd like to ask you, Dr. McDay, tonight, what has changed? And what do you plan on doing now that your hands are untied? I'm in fact, I'm asking all of you to step up the way other leaders who have, who have and are ending COVID restrictions by the day. What, when will you, what will it take? You are on the losing side of history and Thank it's you, time to make that right before these children now. Big cheers for her at the end and the big oh bleep moment where she calls out the superintendent who told her last year, oh yeah, we wouldn't be masking these kids, but we, we have no choice. The governor has the mandate, sorry. And now there's no longer a mandate, but guess what? They're still requiring it. That's a mic drop. That's an excellent point to come up and make in front of everyone, in front of the community to call out the nonsense that's happening. The hypocrisy, the spin, the gaslighting, the lying. Governor Yunkin is on the side of that parent. He's not on the side of the woman talking about trespassing charges for eight-year-olds if they don't wear a mask. That is a fight that I think the Republican Party and Glenn Yunkin should be very happy to have and to highlight in the biggest way possible. Which brings me, again, full circle to my point. Put this man in front of a room full of cheering Republicans for the State of the Union response. As Allah Pundit put it yesterday, he saw my piece at townhall.com. He wrote his own analysis of it. The Republicans don't have to tell the American people that they're on the side of a return to normalcy, on the side of the pandemic becoming endemic and getting on with our lives, on the side of parents. They can show them where the actions and the visuals would speak even louder than any of the words on a teleprompter from the president of the United States in front of an empty chamber, mostly empty chamber, because a bunch of triple vax lawmakers aren't allowed in the room in March of 2022. Steal the basketball from the other party, race to the end of the court, and dunk it. It's right there for the taking. We'll step aside. We'll come back. When we do, a story out of California 
that I find actually quite encouraging on health care. The crazies have lost out there in a huge way, and we'll explain right after this. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. From Lawrence, Kansas today, it's the Guy Benson Show at KLWN here in Lawrence. Thank you for listening every weekday. GuyBensonShow.com, podcast always free on demand. So this is, in my mind, a very heartening development out in California of all places. Happened this week. Before I tell you what happened in California, let's do a little bit of a walk down memory lane. Not that far. Flashback to 2015. State of Vermont. Very liberal, deep blue state. Bernie Sanders, of course, a socialist elected there. They're a small population, homogenous, heavily white, disproportionately healthier as far as things go. And they had decided a few years before that, in their legislature, they had passed a bill that would implement single-payer government-run health care for the whole state. And they delayed implementation and the funding for it a few years, but they passed sort of the concept. This is going to be our law in Vermont, and the progressives were so excited. This is their dream, single-payer government-run health care, where the government controls everything and uh, gives you your health care. But reality intervened. In 2015, the governor of the state looked around, looked at the money situation, looked at the price tag of single-payer health care, and recognized, now quoting from the Boston Globe, that, quote, the cost of the program would nearly double the size of the state's budget in the first year alone and would require large tax increases for residents and businesses. The numbers specifically were stunning. To implement single-payer, the analysis showed from the state, it would cost $4.3 billion in 2017 with Vermont taxpayers picking up a $2.6 billion tab. In order to do this, a massive array of tax increases on families, on individuals, on businesses would be required just to come close for paying for it. The governor's office estimated that this health care program would run deficits into the tens, if not hundreds of millions in a matter of years. And they just did not have the money to double state spending. Double. They would take the budget that they had for the whole state, all the operating expenses, roughly double it. That's what they were hoping to do. And they were so terrified of the tax increases. They were so unrealistic and onerous that even in this extremely liberal state, the Democrats backed away and abandoned their own plan. And progressives were very angry. But their fantasy world ran into the buzzsaw of reality. And the question was, if a little tiny state like Vermont, which would be perfectly situated, you would think, to try this experiment, if they couldn't succeed, how could this succeed anywhere in the United States, let alone everywhere in the United States, which is what the Bernie and Elizabeth Warren crowd insists we have to do? Who else would try it? Who else could possibly do this? Well, enter California. That's a one-party state, one-party rule. Democrats dominate California. In many cases, the craziest kind of Democrats. The activists run the show. The unions run the show out there. It's bad out there. I mean, I don't have to tell you that. You had Governor Newsom. He of mask hypocrisy and lying. 
coming out and endorsing single-payer health care. This is a massive state. It's not a little tiny Vermont-type state. This is a huge state out on the left coast. What would it require to pass single-payer health care and to fund single-payer health care in California? Well, the Tax Foundation found that in California, they would have to increase taxes by more than $12,000 per household, roughly doubling the state's already high tax collections. I'll remind you that California has lost population for the first time ever. People are exiting the state of California for the first time ever. Net-net. Their taxes are already bad. Their regulations are almost comical. They're funny if you don't have to live under them. It is a left-wing paradise, and we can see what the results are looking like out there. They already have this huge tax burden. This would double it to pay for their single-payer health care dream. The full cost of the program, single-payer health care, government health care for all Californians, including, of course, illegal immigrants, is in the ballpark of $400 billion a year. California's existing operating budget, their entire budget for everything, schools, courts, roads, bridges, services, all of that, is right now $262 billion a year. $260 billion a year. This would cost upwards of $400 billion a year on top of that. And it could, of course, become ever higher. The cost could grow. We've seen, for example, in California, their high-speed rail experiment which has been a dismal failure. California voters approved in 2008 their high-speed rail system from L.A. to San Francisco. The project was supposed to cost $33 billion and be done by 2020. Now, the finish date is 2033, so they're 13 years behind, and the cost estimate has tripled. That's just a choo-choo train through the state. This would be health care for everyone and the estimate is hopefully $400 billion. And they're hoping that half of it would be paid for by the feds, half of it would be paid for by California tax dollars. And they're saying, well, we could, we could realize cost savings. So the math would work. The math would not work. The tax increases are insane. And so this week, facing once again reality, even the nutcases out in California realize this cannot be done. They did not have the votes, and they didn't even call a vote on this bill because they knew it was going to fail. And the progressive activists are so mad. They wanted a vote so they could at least target the people who voted no and get even crazier people in there next time. But the leadership said, we're not going to have this vote because it'll be a big embarrassment. Okay, if it was Chuck Schumer, he'd say, let's have the vote anyway for some reason. So single-payer health care, at least for now, is dead in Vermont and dead in California— and at $35 trillion over 10 years across the United States, it should be dead forever nationally. It's the Guy Benson Show. Final hour coming up. Dr. Nicole Sapphire joins us when we return.
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy hour on a Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Raise an ice-cold long drink to the weekend. We are almost there together. Thanks always for listening. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, the 5 o'clock hour Eastern is the happy hour. Delighted to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is always free of charge, and that includes, by the way, bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com. And I mentioned the long drink. Their website is TheLongDrink.com. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. It is delicious. We recommend it. With us now is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of Panic Attack. Dr. Sapphire, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday, guys. Happy Friday to you. I know last time you were here, it was your big 4-0, huge birthday, and it seems like you've had a rolling celebration. I've been following you on social media, on Instagram. I'm sort of jealous. You have celebrated your birthday week or weeks very well. I just want to give you props. You know what, Guy? What can I say? I'm surrounded by incredible friends and family who want to celebrate my birthday. And who am I to, to say no <laughs> right. to that? Yes. It's very selfless of you just to say yes. <laughs> no, it's great. And I've been loving it. I want to start with some fear-mongering, because why not? Over <laughs> on MSNBC, Dr. Zeke Emanuel, brother of Rahm Emanuel, he was beating the drums of fear for parents about kids, about vaccination, about Omicron. Let's listen together. Cut 23. With uh, the, the Omicron variant, you know, kids are either going to get the vaccine or they're likely to get a serious condition of Omicron. Having Omicron with the vaccine is almost invariably going to be better uh, and safer for children. Um, I am confused about parents' attitude. Five and above seems like it's a no-brainer. Uh, two to five, I understand some hesitancy. Two and under with the uh, 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 small dose. Okay, doctor. So the very beginning of that clip from Zeke Emanuel said that kids will either get the vaccine or a severe Omicron case. That's just medical misinformation, is it not? Well, you're right, Guy, and that is false. And, you know, well, listen, there are severe cases of COVID-19 in school-age children. They're very rare, and they're largely in children with pre-existing medical conditions. You know, when you hear people say something like that, this condescension that continues to come from the White House, from the CDC, and these other elite officials, you know, at what point are they going to stop and just start eating crow? Because they continue to fearmonger the population. But Americans are getting much smarter at this point. We have the data to counter what is coming out of their mouths. Listen, about 10 million kids have had COVID. We know that that number is underestimated, anywhere from 40 to 50%. There have been about a thousand deaths reported in children, but we also know that that number is overestimated. So when you put those those numbers together, there is a very, very low risk of severe illness from 
COVID in school-aged children. Yes, Omicron has caused about two to three more cases among kids than Delta did. That's because it is so highly transmissible. But thankfully, the hospitalization rates still stayed very, very low, and the death rates never went up. And that is because, yes, a more transmissible virus but that meant that the virus itself was becoming more mild. It was causing less severe infections. So to say that a child either gets vaccinated or will have a serious case of Omicron, that is not the case. In fact, a serious case of Omicron in kids or adults is rare. Right. Vaccinated or unvaccinated because it's a less virulent form of the virus. And so, I mean, I saw the quote. And what bothers me, doctor, is... You and I could potentially get flagged for so-called misinformation on social media and elsewhere for just talking about actual verifiable facts and statistics. And you and I are both very pro-vaccine. We've talked about it. I think that we've had reasonable fact-forward conversations about COVID now for the last two years almost. We've tried to be pretty scrupulous about it. And nevertheless— There are people out there who are willing to jump on anything anyone says that is against safety or against science, even if it's against neither of those things. But here's Dr. Zeke Emanuel going on MSNBC, and they tweeted it out from their official account at MSNBC with just wrong information designed to whip up parents into this state of hysteria and panic, grossly misstating the actual risks involved for children. And I, it just kind of feels like there are double standards at play, and I think it frustrates a lot of people because this is part of the reason they don't trust a lot of the so-called experts and the gatekeepers of information because over and over again the misinformation game feels more like, in fact, a game than a credible attempt to set the record straight. I mean, is that fair? That is that is absolutely fair. But did, if you listen to that entire interview, which I did, they started talking about how Pfizer has just recently submitted for the vaccine for two to four year olds. And when the person doing the interview asked him what his thoughts were on whether or not two to four year olds should get the vaccine. Did you catch what his response was? He's like, well, I'm not sure the data show that it works, but it, but it didn't make it any worse. So. You know, we'll just have to look at that. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't say that to parents. You can't say, well, this may not work, but you know what? It's not going to make it. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to make it any worse. That's that's the problem. That is why people have hesitancy around the vaccines and around information coming from public health, because they're not demonstrating a massive benefit. They're just saying, well, probably not that bad for you. And that that is where we need to be focusing. Listen, it is without question for children who have medical conditions who have not had COVID, that it really makes sense to vaccinate those kids because they are at a higher risk of having a severe outcome. Even if it is a low risk, it is still higher than other kids. But for the children who have already had COVID, who have protection from natural immunity, or who are otherwise healthy, I think that's where you can really sit and have a conversation about whether or not this vaccine gives them more benefit um, than you know, then not getting the vaccine at all, because, again, the chance of having a severe outcome is exceedingly low. So here's another example where the misinformation battle comes into play, and it's on masks. We've talked seemingly endlessly about masks on this show, particularly vis-a-vis children in schools. I think it's very clear what the data is there, where the data is lacking 
to support a lot of these mandates in schools. I know that you've had a lot to say about that. I want to ask you about masks in general, especially in the Omicron era and now maybe the post-Omicron era. There's a biomedical engineer who went to the New York Times and found all of their data, combed through the New York Times sort of database on COVID information. And he decided to plot on an XY graph the case counts in states that had mask mandates and states that did not have mask mandates. And he adjusted for various things, but it was just a head-to-head matchup. Was there a similar performance, a different performance? Was there a benefit to government entities requiring masks during the Omicron wave? And what you see is it starts back in November on the X access here back in November of 21, and it goes until the end of January 2022. And what strikes me, and I tweeted about this earlier, and people can go back on my Twitter feed if they want to find it, at Guy P. Benson. What strikes me about the resulting data and these case trajectories, these curves, is that they are almost completely identical. They hug each other relatively low, then they start spiking with each other, they go way up, and then they start coming down very significantly at exactly the same time. And the only thing that I would add to that description is that the states without mask mandates actually had a lower peak on cases than the states with mask mandates. So you could argue that the no mask required states performed better than the states that were requiring masks. Now, I'm not going to say that no one should ever wear a mask for any reason. I think that there should be, at this point, personal responsibility and choices involved. I understand that there's a difference in efficacy when it comes to the mask that you select, the type of mask that you use. But this blunt object, doctor, of government officials, governors saying, in this state, there's an indoor mask mandate, you must do it. I mean, the data seems to point to a conclusion that those requirements do not work. And I wonder if you think that that is a fair conclusion at this point and what the ramifications ought to be when it comes to public policy. Because I'm looking at these numbers and I'm looking at these charts and it's pretty striking. Well, guys, I have the mask mandates. I actually dove into that in my book, Panic Attack, uh, demonstrating that the you know, regional, local, regional um, institution of the mandates didn't necessarily have the effect that people would have wanted or expected them to. And now when you're looking at that chart, you show that the places without mask mandates had kind of a lower surge when it came to Omicron. Now, you can read into that a little bit. Is it because they had higher cases earlier on? So they have larger natural immunity, whatever the vaccination rates, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, Guy, COVID is going to COVID. And And the truth is, you're not catching the virus from these places that are instituting mask mandates. People are getting COVID because of indoor gatherings in their home. That is largely where people are getting this. Social gatherings, when you're not wearing masks, you wear masks. They're saying you have to wear a mask when you walk into the grocery store, when you go to the bank, when you're going shopping in a retail store. Well, the little data that we've seen has showed that you're not getting it by sitting in a restaurant as a patron. The reason you have cases being reported at restaurants are because you have your employees congregating in the back areas together without their masks on. It's not necessarily sitting and being a patron. It's not getting up and walking and using the restroom. Yes, are there anecdotes of people getting it from being out to eat? Sure. But largely, people are getting 
exposed to the virus from social gatherings when you're not wearing masks, which is what we have been seeing all along, which is why these mask mandates needed to go a long time ago. At this yep. point, people who want to be vaccinated can be vaccinated. They can be boosted. We have treatments. We have a large amount of natural immunity. We need to move our thinking and allow this virus to be endemic. That's where we are. We just need the health policy people to accept it. You mentioned right there natural immunity, which brings me to our final subject today, and it's one that we got into yesterday with Dr. Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins. Big study, sort of a gold-plated study on natural immunity and the power of natural immunity, and the results are quite important in my mind, quite striking. I know that they have not gotten a lot of attention outside of certain media circles. I'm not shocked by that, but it seems like it's a very highly relevant finding if we are trying to figure out the truth about COVID and the best ways to handle it. If you could just talk about what you have taken away from the Johns Hopkins study on natural immunity released yesterday and published in JAMA. You know, I'm very excited for my friend uh, Marty McCary for this study. He's been working on it for a while. We've talked about it for months. And to see it finally out is just great. But think, let's think of what we hear from Dr. Walensky, Dr. Fauci, and others when they're asked about why, aren't you, why don't you acknowledge natural immunity. Their knee-jerk answer has always been, well, we don't know how long it lasts. Well, we now have this Johns Hopkins paper, which just adds to the other papers that shows natural immunity lasts. 15 months, 18 months, and now the Johns Hopkins one shows 20 months. You know why it can't show more than 20 months? Because we've only been in the pandemic like 20 months. It is continuing to show that natural immunity is long lasting. This study is a one that is not flawed. They can't tear it apart. It proves the efficacy, the robust protection of natural immunity, the ability to have those antibodies. What else do we know? That the same antibody levels drop off after vaccination at about four to six months. So no longer can these public health officials deny the protection of natural immunity, yet we still have people who have been fired, who have chosen not to be vaccinated, who had a prior history of infection. And now we're seeing another round happening again. Governor Holchel, Governor Murphy, and Governor Newsom all instituting booster mandates in fully vaccinated healthcare workers, a population who had a higher risk of already having COVID. Healthcare workers have hybrid immunity from natural infection plus being fully vaccinated, and now they're being told, get a booster or you're going to be fired. This is a catastrophe. It is man-made, and it is all being done by politicians. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, our guest, medical doctor here on the show, senior Fox News medical contributor. Her book that she name-checked smartly is Panic Attack. You can go out and check it out. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, always a pleasure. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Guy. It's the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour back after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Happy Hour on the Guy Benson Show. And if you're listening on the live broadcast, you can hear Dreams by Fleetwood Mac off of their huge smash hit album, Rumors, which turns 45 today. 45 years ago, Rumors came out, and it was a smash hit. Two quick notes on Fleetwood Mac, because I think that they're fantastic. We got to go see them in concert in D.C. before the pandemic, maybe like 2018, late 2018. They were in town. I had no intention of going, but my cousin, big music fan, 
He said, hey, there's some cheap tickets available last minute, not great seats. Any interest in going? It was like a random Tuesday night or something. And I decided, sure, why not? So Adam and I went with my cousin. It was just amazing. They were fantastic. And there were so many songs that I didn't realize I knew, but of course I knew because they're Fleetwood Mac. Oh, man, at one point for the encore, they had Tom Petty's lead guitarist joining them throughout this concert and on tour. And for the encore, with all the lights down, you just heard the first few chords, unmistakable, free-fallen by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So you had his lead guitarist playing guitar and Stevie Nicks singing free-falling. And they had a montage of Tom Petty on the Jumbotron because he had recently passed away. That was a goosebumps moment. And then early in my radio career, my first job, AM560, WIND Chicago, still our weekend affiliate in Chicago, I did a Sunday evening show. And my first show in this business was during the 2008 presidential campaign and the Democratic primary. You might remember, I mean, there's a huge Republican primary, too, which John McCain ended up winning. But the Democrats with Obama and Hillary and that clash that went on month after month, it was really fun and wild to cover, especially in Obama's home city. And I was rooting against both of them, right, in my own way. But I would do Hillary Clinton campaign updates. And whenever I would give an update about her campaign, I would kick it off with the official Hillary Clinton theme song, which happens to be my favorite Fleetwood Mac song. Listen. Yeah, so this is the Crooked H theme song back in 2008. Oh, remember the corkscrew landing and the sniper fire? That one, oh, and on and on it went with Hillary Clinton, and some things, I guess, never change. So I always associate Fleetwood Mac with that song with my first real presidential cycle in this business. And I just figured I would share that with you today, given that it's the 45th anniversary of Rumors, that fantastic album by Fleetwood Mac. And we don't talk a lot of music here on the show, but an exception needed to be made. That's what I believe. I hope you enjoy it. If the concert scene picks back up again and Fleetwood Mac is coming to your neighborhood, I strongly recommend buying a ticket. Guy Benson Show Happy Hour on this Friday continues next. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Friday happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com. Free podcasts every single day, including bonus Benson on the weekends. Earlier today, appropriately enough, we spoke with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, Republican of Kansas. And we're doing the show from Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas, today at KLWN. We're very grateful to them and their hospitality. Here's part of my conversation with Senator Marshall. You're, of course, very concerned about what's happening over in Ukraine. You also are calling for sort of a refresh on war authorization and powers, making sure that Congress has its appropriate role uh, intact, regardless of what ends up happening in terms of the United States' response to what Russia may or may not do. Just give us, to the extent that you can tell us about uh, what you learned and what are your big takeaways from that briefing. Yeah, guy. I think what I was concerned that the war drum was really loud, and you know we need to be prepared for everything. But I think it's time to turn the volume down a little bit on going to war with anybody, and and certainly I do not want any 
boots on the ground in Ukraine. And I don't think the president has the authority to, to do that. I certainly has the authority to send them to Eastern Europe under the auspices of NATO. But if there's an actual battle there, I'm not excited about boots on the ground. I was concerned, again, about the tone of the situation that we have going on there. Uh, and just, you know, the background that we're being so reactive. Again, the land of Eisenhower here in Kansas, peace through strength. This president's negotiated uh, from a point of weakness. And I don't have to tell your audience what the world thinks of us right now. When we sit on our hands, when terrorists send missiles at Israel, we sit on our hands when Russia finishes up Nord Stream 2, uh, that Russia hacks us and shuts down our energy flow and we do nothing. Uh, they know that they're dealing with a weak president. So it sounds like you're worried about the president maybe going to war. I mean, do you, do you think that we would actually go to, you know, engage in a hot war with the Russians? I hope not. Um, but but it, you know, this is how Vietnam started. Again, I remember driving by the cemetery in grade school and seeing the, the flag-draped coffins every afternoon. What? How many lessons do we have to learn? This is how Vietnam started. We, we started sending uh, technical advisors. Uh, this is a great time for Congress to say, where, what are the war powers? There's a couple AUMFs, authorized use of, of military force, that are setting out there. One from 2001, I believe, that basically authorized the war on terrorism, and then one, I think, from about 2003 that authorized uh, the war in Iraq. I, I think the one in Iraq for Iraq can be repealed, and I think it's a good time to go back and look at that one in 2001, and let's, let's don't wait until the president's sending troops over there to try to stop it. Let's try to look at the situation now while we have a little bit more, I'm going to say, non-emotional situation here. And, and again, I just want to turn the war drums down a little bit. Is President Biden trying to deflect off the real national security issues, the southern border, lawlessness, inflation? What I'm, I'm concerned about what his motivations are for, for cranking this situation up there in the well, Ukraine. It, it seems like the Russians are doing a lot of the cranking up, right? They amassed all these troops. They're the ones talking about invading Ukraine. I know the Ukrainians are also saying, hey, let's let's sort of maybe back away from some of this rhetoric. We're getting a little overheated here. That's been the message from Kiev back to Washington. That being said, what Putin is up to is obviously very dangerous, extremely provocative. It looks like he's planning at some point in the coming days or weeks to engage in some kind of invasion of an ally of a sovereign country's territory. You are critical of President Biden's weakness that Putin and others apparently are picking up on and seeking to uh, take advantage of. If you're not willing to go the direction of boots on the ground, I think very few Americans are, what should the U.S. be doing to show strength to someone like Putin? Yeah, I, I think the obvious answer is where is Europe and where is NATO? They should be leading on this particular issue. And I just want to talk about the economy and, and sanctions for a second. In 2019, before covid the United States uh, trade with Russia was probably, I think, 20 or 30 billion. But the European Union's trade with Russia was to the tune of, I think, almost $300 billion. So is the European Union willing to stand up to this bully? Uh, they've created such a dependence on them right now for energy, specifically natural gas. And just reminding your, your listeners, right now, the natural gas 
goes to the Ukraine to get to the European Union. Nord Stream 2 was about bypassing Ukraine and being able to get this energy into the European Union. This, the European Union should be much more concerned about this than the United States is. I think they should be leading on sanctions, and they should be leading any type of a military presence there. Uh, I, again, I'm much more concerned about China uh, right now than I am uh, this squabble in the Ukraine. You're right. Russia has plenty to blame, but I can't control Putin, but I can help influence the policy in this country. Would you support major sanctions against the Russians if he does invade? Absolutely. And I wouldn't wait. I really think Ted Cruz had this right. Uh, leading the charge on starting imposing sanctions months ago, we wanted to. Yeah, start the Democrats filibustered it, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is being reactive rather than proactive. One of the big lessons in life is timing. Many people have the right decision, but it's two months too late. Whether you're in, making an investment or moving your stocks around, timing is so important. And I think in the realm of national security, timing is everything. But but Russia's a bully. They're not going to respond to talk, especially talk from a person that sent blankets uh, the la when Russia invaded Crimea in 2014. We've got to stand up, smack the bull in the nose, and start, uh, start with some sanctions. But Europe's got to be leading this. That's the one that we need, and, and they need to see that, that we're going to stand together with Europe on this. Senator Marshall, I want to ask you about something that happened, gosh, was it a couple weeks ago now at this point? Dr. Anthony Fauci was on Capitol Hill. He mixed it up with several U.S. senators, including, of course, Senator Rand Paul. They go after each other all the time. Fauci obviously doesn't like him, and the feeling appears to be mutual. At one point, you were engaged in a back and forth with Fauci, and at the end of it, in a hot mic, he sort of muttered to himself, calling you a moron. What was that all about? And what did you make of him sort of losing his temper and calling you, a U.S. senator and a fellow doctor, a moron? Very cool to be in this senator's state of Kansas for a big event tomorrow. We'll tell you about that when we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show happy hour. If you missed any of today's show, there's a podcast for free, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. That's on demand. Plus, bonus Benson on the weekends. No charge, all of it. And then the home stretch, which is straight ahead. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show, Friday edition. Happy almost weekend. Thanks for being here with us every day. 3 to 6 p.m. and then bonus Benson on the weekends. Podcast always free, GuyBensonShow.com. Special thanks again to KLWM, FM 101.7, AM 1320, here in Lawrence, Kansas, which is where we're doing the show today. Lawrence, Kansas, why am I here? Well, I mentioned it weeks ago. My father-in-law, as a Christmas gift to me, he's a KU grad, University of Kansas grad, big KU basketball fan, and he knows that I'm a college sports fan and one of the meccas of college basketball in this country, an iconic venue, is Allen Fieldhouse, home of the Kansas Jayhawks. So he's very well connected at KU. He's got a friend who's a huge donor and I guess they know the athletic director and all this stuff. So he said as a Christmas gift, pick a game and I'll fly you guys out and we can do a basketball weekend at KU. And I said, uh, sold. That sounds amazing. 
And here we are. It snuck up on us. It's already February. I may or may not have deliberately chosen this game for a reason. It's tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be on ESPN National Television. Number 8 Baylor visiting number 10 Kansas. Huge Big 12 matchup featuring the defending national champions, Baylor Bears. And the amazing pedigree, of course, here in Lawrence in the University of Kansas basketball program. And I'm just so excited to be a part of the atmosphere and see all the traditions play out. That's going to be tomorrow. And I'm just out of my mind. I'm so excited for this. I'm not a fan of either of these teams. I'll probably pull for the home team, and it's my father-in-law's team, so that'd probably be stupid of me to be rooting for Baylor for no apparent reason, with all apologies to Baylor fans out there. But I just want to take it all in, and I'm hoping it's just a raucous, fun experience and a good game. That's what I'm rooting for. And just to be out here in Lawrence, a place just oozes basketball. So, again, many thanks, KLWN, for accommodating us, and it made it just a lot easier to make everything work to do the show here from this station. In the meantime, Quiet Wyatt sent this story to the team, and we got talking about it on our planning call earlier, and Christine got all worked up about it and started walking down memory lane about her time as a child. I had to sort of interrupt her because, like, we had to plan the show, but I promised we would talk about this issue if you want to call it an issue during the home stretch. Apparently, New York City public schools are now going to start serving vegan-only meals on Fridays. Now, is this requiring everyone who gets a school meal to have a vegan meal, or is it just now an option on Fridays? Because to me, growing up, I believe Fridays were for pizza, and pizza is not a vegan product because there's cheese. So unless you have fake vegan cheese... That would not be an option. And the fake vegan cheese, with all due respect, does not sound very appealing to me. What's the deal here, Christine? Are they mandating veganism for school lunch recipients in New York City on Fridays? Yeah, you can't you can't have meat on Fridays. They had already implemented a meat ban on Fridays and Mondays. So they were still allowing, like you said, dairy, pizza, nachos, that type of thing on Fridays. But now it's vegan only. So no dairy, no pizza Fridays. Uh, you can enjoy maybe, say, some broccoli, kale, salad. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. Enjoy. Yeah, we can put that in quotes. Although I like broccoli, I like kale. I'm not sure as a kid that would have been at the top of my list for school lunch on a Friday. Sorry, it just wouldn't have been. I never bought lunch growing up except on Fridays when it was Pizza Fridays. And uh, our school was awesome because they actually brought in pizza from an actual, like, pizza parlor. So oh, our pizza was like... not good. Right, right. Yeah, no, I... I I've Which is disgraceful. Before, you know? Like, to be in New Jersey, because this is when... Well, actually, now we're going to really go off the rails here. But when I was growing up overseas... In Hong Kong, so my early childhood years, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, the school that I went to in Hong Kong was Hong Kong International School. And listen to this. The daughters, if I recall correctly, of the CEO of Hong Kong McDonald's attended my school. So our school lunch program was McDonald's. No. Yep. And you could, and my parents wouldn't let me do it very often. Like once every few weeks, they would let me do a McDonald's order. And I was so mad because I was so jealous of other kids who would have it more. And of course, my parents, looking back, were correct about this. 
you should not be eating McDonald's every day for lunch, as some people did. But there was a list of maybe seven or eight menu items that you could order, including McNuggets, including the Big Mac. And that was our school lunch program. You could order McDonald's in and they would show up at the classroom and hand it out to people, which was kind of amazing. So then I moved back to the U.S. and you are in New Jersey surrounded by the best pizza in the world. And I've talked about that before. I I will stand behind that. Bagels and pizza, it is just nowhere better than northern New Jersey in particular for those items. And you've got all this amazing pizza, probably seven or eight fabulous pizzerias in our town. And we have the little, like, gross square frozen pizza things that they served in school. And it seemed like a real missed opportunity. We did not have that. Like I said, we brought in the pizza, which was unbelievable. Now, on other days, I Monday through Thursday, I only brought, and let me tell you something, I brought lunch all the way through my senior year of high school when people probably were not buying lunch. They were either leaving to go get lunch or, you know, had their own money or it just, you know, you weren't bringing a brown paper bag when you're 17 years old to school. But I was because my mother, hands down, made the best lunches. I don't know another mother that made better lunches. She just always had the freshest cold cuts. She would go morning up to go get me the fresh roll or croissant or bagel that I wanted. She would have all the good snacks, and sometimes she put soda in there. And all my friends, I'm not kidding, all my friends would beg me. They're like, could your mom make me a sandwich? She didn't. And she had some nice notes, but she's not usually the most friendliest. So, yeah, Judgy down, Joyce, this sounds, like, this sounds like a labor of love. She showed you her love through her elaborate school lunches that she would pack for you every day. That actually sounds a little bit much. Were you a diva? Were you a little little princess getting your fresh croissant every day? Yeah, my sister tells a story. When I was probably in middle school, the bus came very early, and my mother wanted to make sure that I, I was eating. She would hand-feed me as I was trying to get ready. She'd be like, come on, just a couple more bites of cereal. And my sister would look at us and say, you two are pathetic. <laughs> she would hand-feed you. How is that even more efficient? That would slow everything down. That's weird. I'm sorry, that's weird. Well, I was getting... I was trying to get ready or get out the door. She'd yeah. like, come on, one This more is explaining some things. This is explaining some things. <laughs> another layer. Another layer. Another layer of the producer Christine uh, cookie onion has been peeled back. I think that is, yeah, I think that's true. So she would make what, uh, sandwiches? What were the go-to snacks? Why was everyone so jealous? Because I was, she she wasn't really caring about the health factor of my lunch, so I always had the fruit roll-ups, the um, gushers, the like you know the like dunker. Do you remember Dunkaroos? I do I remember Dunkaroos. The, I always had the good snacks. There wasn't she. I wasn't pulling out a little baggie of you know cut up apples or carrots or cucumbers. And I'm not kidding. She would go get like fresh croissants because I. Went through a phase where I thought I was French and I loved croissants, so she would, you know, put. Oh, my I remember that phase. It. Was it during that phase, in fact, Cookie, that you went to France and got mugged by <laughs> a mime? It could have been, yep. possibly. Yeah, Speaking I, of the uh, Cookie Onion, that's another fun story. That's a callback. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the mime mugging until right now. Oh, so you went through a French phase and you got French lunches. That's actually very impressive. Maybe one day Judgy Joyce can prepare a lunch for me. I, she can hold off on the Dunkaroos. I actually like sliced apple. I'm that weird kid. 
But I think we can probably agree a school lunch in New York City where it's vegan every Friday. You know, I might have just thought of one reason why I would want to wear a mask in school as a kid if they're trying to feed me some vegan school lunch. By the way, if we think we got some angry responses, not angry, but some scolding responses to our making fun of Groundhog Day and Phil the Groundhog, wait till the vegans come after me. I actually wonder how many vegans we have in the Guy Benson Show audience. I'm sure there are some, and I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I'm glad that you've made that choice for yourself, and it is not a choice that I would ever, 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 ever make because I value my happiness. <laughs> and food makes me happy, particularly delicious animals and cheese. That's a great way to end the week. Back here on Monday from D.C. on The Guy Benson Show, we'll see what happens tomorrow at Allen Fieldhouse here in Lawrence, Kansas. I believe the phrase is rock, chalk, Jayhawk. I'll be a fan for a day here at KU. We'll tell you about it Monday. Have a great weekend. It's The Guy Benson Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.